0: chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side. I will not believe it. A week later, his his disciples were in the house again, and Jesus was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did make other miraculo- did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Um, and this story
1: today is, is such a wonderful one as we encounter John chapter 20. Um, and truly, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a story of hope. And it's a story of hope for each one of us. And, and we gather, we, we love to hear stories of hope, right? That's, that's part of the reason why we gather. And by the way, um, you guys might have realized last week was the mountaintop experience of Easter. And this is now the week after Easter, right? Which is one of the lowest attended church Sundays of the year. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. And if you're wondering why I'm preaching this week, this is one of the lowest attended church Sundays <laughs> of the year. No, but seriously, turn to somebody near you and tell them, good job. Because really, it is, uh, it's good for us to be here, right? It's good for us to be fed by God's word, uh, to, receive, uh, to receive communion, to receive Jesus' presence among us. Um, and that's why we gather. And that's actually what the disciples were doing that Easter evening, is they were gathering that day in the presence of the Lord so that they might be encouraged by one another. That's the foundation for this story of hope. The story of hope which is for each one of us. The story of hope which is for all believers. This, the story of hope that's told here is, is kind of along the lines of the ones that we like to hear. And then we think about hope, um, and I wanna define it for you before we get too deep into this, just to make sure we're all speaking about the same thing when we say hope. Hope is trust, in a preferable future, despite the evidence of the present, because of the confidence of the past. Right? So trust in a preferable future, despite the evidence of the present, because of the confidence of the past. Jesus' disciples become agents of hope, but they don't start that way. First, they have to understand what Jesus Christ has done for them. First, they have to encounter him and understand all that he has done on their behalf. And so it's important for us, when we look at this text from John chapter 20, to focus on Jesus. And it might seem pretty self-evident, right, that we're going to focus on Jesus. But I think when we read this text in John 20, we have this tendency to focus a whole lot on Thomas, right, and to make this whole thing about him. And we'll get to Thomas. He's important, but he's not as important as Jesus, And so when we focus on Jesus, we we begin to remember what's happened and what Jesus has done, right? The text tells us this is evening on that first day of the week. And so which first day of the week is it? It's Easter, right? It's the day that Jesus rose. It's the day that began while it was still dark, while some women had fled to the tomb, going to anoint Jesus' body. And as they had gone to find Jesus' body, they instead found the stone rolled away and the body gone. And as they found the body gone, there were some angelic messengers, some heavenly hosts who were there appearing who said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And this sets off a series of foot races back and forth between the upper room and the tomb. Right? And by the way, every time that John says that he was running one of those foot races, he lets us know that he won. Right? <laughs> just wants to make sure that everybody knows that. The women run back to the tomb upper room where they encounter the disciples then several of them start running to the tomb there they find the same thing the women saw that the the tomb is open but the body isn't there one of the women lingers her name is Mary Magdalene she has an encounter with Jesus but he's disguised as a gardener she clings to his feet but he tells her don't hold on to me because I've not yet returned to my father and said, go and tell. And so she then flees back. There have been these one-off meetings of people with Jesus now throughout the day, but never a big group gathering. Immediately before this, they're gathered in the upper room. Immediately before this, do you remember what Jesus is doing? He has found two other disciples who are walking the road to Emmaus. And there he opens the scriptures to them, reveals to them all that the scriptures said about him. And remember, it says that their hearts were burning inside of them, but they recognize him not then, but a little bit later as he breaks bread with them. And then it says that Jesus is hidden from their sight, and those two take off from there and run all the way back to Jerusalem, back to these disciples. Again, these one-off meetings, but no big group gathering, no group appearance that kind of defines Jesus' resurrection until now. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now it's so important for us to remember why those words were so impactful. Remember that all of the disciples had fled Remember that all of the disciples had left Jesus in his hour of need, marked by by Judas who had betrayed him, and by Peter, right? Peter, who had called down curses on himself while he was out warming himself in the courtyard while Jesus was inside on trial, calling down curses on himself, saying, I don't know the man. The last words that he had spoken, the last words that Jesus heard him say before Jesus was led out to be crucified. Every one of them had fled. None of them had helped in his hour of need. And so here they were, assembled in the upper room, hearing these rumors that Jesus was alive, these one-off stories and accounts, and now Jesus comes and stands in their midst, and their first thought must have been one of terror. Because what if Jesus has come to enact a measure of revenge? What if he has come in wrath? But instead, Jesus' first words, Peace be with you. Mercy. Words of mercy for his followers. Words of mercy for those who who were seeking mercy and seeking to understand what it was all about. Jesus speaks to them and these words, peace be with you, cause them to realize that Jesus is not going to enact revenge on them. He's not going to be wrathful with them but instead he has come to show them that all that he promised them ahead of time was fulfilled. Jesus came to bring them mercy and we start thinking about this topic, living hope, I want you to remember this. Mercy brings hope and Jesus is our living hope. The disciples are shown mercy in this moment. They're shown mercy by Jesus who's standing in their midst and speaking to them. But then the text continues. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, I think it's a little unusual, right? Because as Jesus shows them these wounds, you're reminded this just happened on Friday. And so to see these things must have been been a little bit grotesque, right? And yet they're not offended at all. And said, they're overjoyed because it's the same Jesus. It's this one who was dead, who is now alive. This is who they're seeing in their midst. They're overjoyed. And then Jesus says, Peace be with you again. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the more times I read a text, the more weird questions pop into my head. Right? And this is one of the weird questions that popped into my head. When Jesus breathed on them, didn't that kind of stink? Right, I mean, didn't it literally smell bad? Yes, see, you don't even ask this question at all, do you? I told you I'm weird. But I don't want somebody breathing on me. They don't seem to mind. Because it's another demonstration that Jesus is alive. He is standing in their midst. He is speaking to them. He is allowing them to see his physical body, the very body that was crucified, and now he is demonstrating this breath which living people have. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive anyone's sins, they are not forgiven. As he does all of these things, standing, speaking, breathing, showing his physical body, Jesus is demonstrating for his disciples, look guys, I'm here. It happened. I'm alive. Everything that you have believed, everything that you have heard from me is coming true in this moment. Do you see why it's so important to focus our attention on Jesus first? This is just truly wonderful stuff. Because if Jesus is not there alive, then everything that he said, everything that he taught, and everything that he did is a lie. In fact, the Apostle Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When he says, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and so is your faith. It's futile. And then he says, but Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is indeed alive. And because he is, the disciples are filled with hope. Right. So, so let's focus our attention on them for just a second. Right. It's, it's easy for us to get down on the disciples. It's far easier for us to judge the disciples, than it is for us to stand in their shoes. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to stand in the shoes of the disciples. And when we do, we again begin to see that this is a story of hope, not just for them, but a story of hope for us as well. And make no mistake about it, they don't fully understand what's happening, they don't fully understand what has happened, but they are all together. And they are all together trying to figure it out. In other words, what the apostles and disciples were doing that day is exactly what we're doing here. They were gathering together, even realizing that they didn't have all the answers. They were gathering together in the midst of the chaos of their lives and the confusion of everything that was going on. In the midst of the disappointment they had experienced. And you know, don't you, you know the way that disappointment can cloud out hope. But they were gathered together. And they were gathered in the name of the Lord. And when they were, Jesus appeared. The living Jesus appeared. And he appeared in their midst and he came with peace. He came to extend mercy to them. He came so that they would know that everything he had taught was true. He came so that they would experience mercy. And mercy that brings hope. And so now let's focus on that one disciple in particular, the one named Thomas. Thomas isn't there that day. In fact, this is the way that John records it. Now Thomas, who is also called Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't present in the room. He didn't see anything that happened. And and even because of that or because of his personality, he simply won't believe what everybody else is reporting to him. He won't believe the other disciples. It's like he's saying to a group of friends, I don't know what kind of a scam you guys are trying to pull, but I'm not going to have any part of it. Thomas isn't there. And he's steadfast in his doubt. Now I I think it's interesting that every time that John talks about Thomas, he always refers to him as the twin. right? That's what Didymus means. John always calls Thomas the twin. And now a lot of ink has been spilt about that. A lot of theories abound about why Thomas is always called the twin. And so I'll give you mine. My theory is really simple. The Holy Spirit wants us to identify Thomas as our twin. He wants us to look at Thomas, this one who, who demands proof, this one who says, unless I see, he wants us to look and to say, yeah, I think maybe that's the way I would react too. And if you're willing to allow yourself to be Thomas's twin, then the rest of the story is especially important. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. I wonder aloud if this was the first time Thomas was back in their presence. If this is the first time their their spat had been spoken of publicly. Scriptures don't tell us. They just tell us that he's there. Though the doors were locked, the doors are locked again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Thomas, what's wrong with you? Why don't you believe what the other people said? You might have noticed that's not what the text says. Instead, Jesus says, peace be with you. Mercy. Mercy for Thomas who had all these doubts and questions. Mercy for the rest of the apostles and disciples who were there in the room. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus met Thomas in the midst of his doubt and uncertainty. Jesus met Thomas in the midst of this compassionate gathering saints. Jesus met Thomas in the midst of a people who didn't have everything all figured out. In the midst of it, he spoke of peace. He extended mercy to those who were seeking him. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know who that is? That's us. That's us. We who are looking at our twin Thomas and saying that's the way I would react. And hearing the mercy of God extended to him. We hear the mercy of God extended to each one of us. As Jesus says to you, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Understand that everything that I have done is for you. Understand that everything I have done is to fulfill what was said. Understand that you can have trust in a preferable future despite the evidence of the present because of the confidence of the past. Understand that mercy comes from Jesus and mercy brings hope. And then John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's this extension to each one of us, the same mercy that brings hope, the same confidence that comes from saying, Jesus Christ is my living hope, that I know that I will live with him in eternity, that I know that my future is preferable because of the peace that Jesus Christ has extended to me. And that God then calls us with the disciples to be agents of hope, to be agents of hope in a world that desperately needs stories of hope. I knew somebody that personified this. His name is Charlie. Charlie was actually the doctor that delivered our third child, Micah. When we knew him, he was just about retiring. In fact, he retired during the pregnancy but still delivered those who were in his practice. But Charlie evidently was a really different man when he was younger because he told the story, he was also part of our church, told the story to the men's group Of how he almost didn't become a doctor. It happened when he was 22 years old, a senior in college. He had completed all of his requirements, completed all of his exams. He had been accepted into the University of Michigan, and he was supposed to graduate in the morning. Well, a bunch of his friends were in the same situation, and so as college seniors like to do, they decided to go out and celebrate. Some of the Guys in the group celebrated a bit too much and were rather inebriated. Charlie was not one of those, and so everything that follows, he did in clear and sober judgment. See, so they decided that it would be fun to steal a vehicle from campus and to go for a little joy ride. Charlie was the driver. So they took the car out and they were running this thing around and they were in this joy ride. They came up over this hill, and the way he describes this is the 1970s, uh, the Michigan State Police Department, their cars had the big cherry on top, right? the light. he said, we came up over this hill and we came up over the hill. All of a sudden, the car that was right there, all of a sudden the cherry started to light up. And he said, and we knew we were dead. So he said, we did what any calm, rational 22 year olds would do in that moment. We decided to try to outrun the cop. We took the first right off the road that we were on. We decided that we would flee in the woods. But the problem that the state trooper already knew was that the place where they had turned off had only one entrance and exit, and so he just stopped there and blocked it and waited for them to make the circle and come back around. When they did, they at least had the presence of mind to surrender, and the police officer took them in. The police officer let them sit for a while before going in and telling him what the charges would be. He told them that there would be three, grand theft, evading arrest, fleeing the scene. All three of them were felonies. And those felonies would mean, as the dean would later tell them that night, those three felonies would mean that they would not graduate in the morning, that he would not be admitted into medical school with felonies on his record. Well, they let them sit there for most of the night until like five or six o'clock in the morning when unbeknownst to them, the dean who had been called had come down had already called their parents. And the parents were brought into the room. They were sitting in the room with the officer, the dean, and their parents. and the Officer once again reiterated the charges, told them what they would be, told them that all three of them were felonies. The dean explained to them once again the consequences of that, that they would not be graduating, that Charlie would not go to medical school. And then the dean said something like this, there's nothing in your record that indicates you've ever behaved like this in the past, and I'm guessing that after tonight you'll never behave like this again. And so the state police have decided not to press charges against you which means you will be able to graduate in the morning and you will be able to attend University of Michigan Medical School and become a doctor. Go and do something useful with your life. Throughout his career, Charlie probably delivered around 10,000 babies. And he was known in the community for being a person of extraordinary faith, for being a person of hope, who walked with people during some of the most difficult seasons of their life and who celebrated with them on the mountaintops of their lives. He was known for being someone who extended mercy to those around him, and you know why? It's because as a young man he had experienced that mercy. And mercy brings hope. Now you might say your story isn't as dramatic as Charlie's is, but it's no less miraculous. That Jesus Christ stands in your midst, in the midst of doubt, of uncertainty, and of sin. And he extends you mercy, saying peace be with you. And mercy brings hope. And Jesus Christ is your living hope. Now go, be agents of hope in the world. Demonstrate all that Jesus Christ has done for you. For his glory, amen.